Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken and Brian, special guest star. <laughs> Episode number 239, recorded May 6th, 2016. So we got Brian on the show because he's a huge fan of the DC Volume 1. So today we're doing DC Volume 1, issues 37 through 39. Yes, and we are. Th- these are your faves, right? This is- um, this is my favorite run. Yeah, I would say that's accurate. Whether these um, are your favorite individual issues or not. That's a different question. <laughs> right. Altogether. Right. But, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Yes, and we're coming to you tonight from all over the country. From Maine, Texas, and Alaska. From, from the shores of Alaska <laughs> to the shores of Maine. How could we be more broadly distributed? Well, I guess Hawaii. That's right. Not the only way. Yeah. Manifest Destiny forward. right here. <laughs> yes. Yes, Manifest Destiny. Which is also right. a, a miniseries that I've not read. Well, maybe I've read it by the time we record that. Yes, we have. <laughs> <laughs> We've read it and discussed it at length. <laughs> That's true. I think, haven't we? Maybe. I I'll think so. Ah, guy. whatever. Whatever this guy <laughs> says. I'm yeah, I remember being taught Manifest Destiny in, in like high school history class. And, exactly, American history. And, right, and then later when I got a little bit older, kind of really figuring out what they were actually saying by the term Manifest Destiny, and I was kind of appalled. Yeah, you can take everybody's land. The whole life. exactly. It was, but, it, but yet destined by God. There it was, you know, being taught in the high schools and yeah, the late seventies. There you go. So apparently, so the, the concept does apply to the Star Trek world. Okay, go on. Oh, there's some issues that we reviewed very recently uh, that is titled that manifest test. Ah. Okay. The new IDW uh, um, Chris Pine era miniseries. Oh, I haven't haven't gotten that yet. Go. There you go. There you go. But today we're doing DC Todd's Volume One. Yes. So these are some uh, some great ones, I think. Maybe ah, the best. Maybe sarcasm. The best. You're... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So these issues do at least the. Definitely the first one we're doing today gets us back into the, what, Star Trek Four era. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're getting everybody back on the Enterprise A. Right. It's, yeah. This is the first issue after the film came out, Star Trek Four. So the last, last time we were together, we were doing the issue that brought everything up to the beginning of that film. And now we're, we're taking, kind of taking it back. So I, I don't know if I'm just you know a purist, but if it's Star Trek and it has Kirk, he needs to be on the Enterprise. So I love yeah. these issues, <laughs> only it's because scary. it's Kirk back on the Enterprise as opposed to Kirk on the Excelsior. Well, and they even make reference to that a couple times sure. in this in this book, which is is great. But I actually do think that it was a a good decision in between Star Trek three and four when the Enterprise had blown up and we didn't have the Enterprise A yet. They they 
they went with it. They they didn't try to like pretend it didn't happen or no, they they did the storyline as best they could with what they had. Yeah. And uh, I thought that was a good choice. Yeah. And they put Kirk and company on the best ship going, or at least most technologically advanced. Why not? Right. Makes sense. No, right. I'm not knocking those stories. I'm just saying. Oh, no, no. I yeah. like to see my Kirk on an Enterprise. <clears throat> I agree. I well, agree. and to have Kirk and Spock back on the same ship. Yep. You know, because they were in Kirk, what, what, Spock was what, on the Surak? That, yep. that they just flew into the sun. <laughs> the <last laughs> <one>. <laughs> yeah, with, with the crew. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Well, they were dead, I Mickey. <laughs> I know, but still. But still. What a bummer. <laughs> I, I, I still want that. I still wanted that issue to end with them finding out that once the infected guy was dead, that everybody else would have come back to normal. Oh. And they found out that they could have saved the Surak, but they didn't. Oh, That's oh. the way I wanted that one to end. Ah, I hear you. That would have been pretty horrid, actually. That would. That would have been bad. That would have, <laughs> that would have put a, a, a frown on our face. That's right. That, 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 that would have been biting. That would have been You can't trauma. all be roses at the end with a little joke. We know that. Exact, Donovan. Exact. Yeah, the happy music. All those people giving criticism to Batman versus Superman. What do they want? jokes all the time like marvel exactly <laughs> crazy crazy folks all right anyways so yeah you uh you want to go ahead and jump into issue number 37 there again let's do it man it's the new the new voyages again new voyages yes so issue 37 the title is choices published date april 1987 creative team scripter len ween guest penciler kurt swan Guest inker, Pablo Marcus. Letterer, Augustin Moss. Colorist, Shelley Eper. Editor, Robert Greenberger. The cover prominently displays a silver-colored Starfleet command badge in the center. Energy and light is emitting from the badge into space with what appears to be planets all around it. Red text reads, The New Voyages. Kirk's Captain's Log talks about the awe in taking command of a newly commissioned USS Enterprise that is virtually identical to the ship destroyed by Kirk's own hand a few months ago. Kirk is on the bridge of the dry dock ship, wondering who will be with him when the refit is complete and the ship departs. He thinks about no longer being an admiral, busted back down to a mere captain for his actions. They thought they were punishing him, but with a smile on his face... Kirk says this all feels so right. Meanwhile, elsewhere on the ship, Spock is in his white robes, thinking about his position. Restored to life, memory returned, but is he truly whole again? Should he have accepted reassignment to the Enterprise as her science officer? Does he have what it takes still? He plays 3D chess with an unseen opponent as he deals with his insecurities. And yet another part of the ship, a workman is having unusual thoughts. He is not a Kirk fan, and as such, he is not happy about Starfleet allowing that demon Kirk to be given a ship and let loose on the galaxy. He thinks he will stop this from happening at all costs. McCoy is in sickbay, setting up shop and wondering why he is doing this yet again. He thinks he should retire to his own plantation on Centaurus and leave all this running around to the young folks. 
but he would get just as bored and end up hating it. He swore an oath to help the sick, and that is exactly what he will do. The man with the grudge thinks how easy it was disguising himself as a member of the loading crew and gain entry to the belly of the beast. Oh, Kirk, you will pay, and pay dearly. Meanwhile, in engineering, Mr. Scott is looking over the ship's new heart. It is close to the old Enterprise, but not quite there yet. He'll be fixing that soon enough, though. Meanwhile, in a garden on Earth, Sulu is walking with Lieutenant Morelli. Morelli can't understand why Sulu wants to go back to the Enterprise and turn down command of his own ship a second time. Morelli will not join him, as she thinks her career will be over if she does, since she thinks Kirk's career is over. They part amicably. Back on the ship, the Kirk fan makes his way stealthily through the demon ship on his holy mission. He pulls a circuit board out of his jacket. In her new quarters, Ohura unpacks and thinks there is nowhere she'd rather be. Konam, Bryce, and Bearclaw meet in the space dock lounge before they all ferry over to the Enterprise. The Kirk fan finds the specific ship's control system that he slips his circuit board into. He says the die is cast. Kirk's fate is sealed. Chekhov boards the ship via a small ferry pod. On the bridge, Kirk and McCoy welcome aboard Lieutenant Rx and Lieutenant Emress, who requested reassignment when they heard the band was getting back together. The Enterprise, with her full crew, leaves dry dock with a smile. The Kirk fan watches the Enterprise depart from the station and bids Kirk and that demon ship of his good riddance. Not long after departure, they kick it up to warp one, and Sulu discovers the ship is no longer responding to controls. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy double-time it down to engineering after they hear Scotty scream in pain over the comms. They arrive and find Scotty's hands were severely burned by some shorted-out circuitry. McCoy examines Mr. Scott while Spock examines the smoking, sparking control panel. Spock states the sparking circuitry is part of the engineering control system, and there is a foreign circuit board in place. They have been the victim of sabotage. The upshot of the matter is the matter-antimatter matrix has been tampered with in such a way that the ship will explode in five minutes. Spock says pulling the board out is not an option, as improperly disarming it will most certainly trigger the explosion immediately. Scotty attempts to help, but cannot use his hands. Rather than talking Spock through what must be done, all the burden is placed on Spock to save the day. Spock has a moment of insecurity, wondering if his recent recovery is complete enough to take care of this incredibly important task. Kirk gives him a pep talk and tells Spock to trust his instincts. Spock disarms it and saves the day. Saints preserve us. Back on the bridge, Ahura informs the captain they received a strange message from Starfleet. A religious zealot just announced he had destroyed Kirk and the Enterprise for crimes against God and man. Kirk instructs her to respond informing Starfleet. The reports of their death are greatly exaggerated. Sulu asks if he should reverse course back to dry dock for repairs. Kirk responds that Scotty has the repairs under control. They will press on and only go straight ahead. 
The end. Whoa. Yeah, so the band's back together again. That's the whole issue. That is what the issue is. Everybody gets to have their take on coming back together after the movie's over. Right. Except RX, he just shows up. Yeah, when did we lose well, RX? He was in the beginning of this series. I haven't been following the whole series again, but I know he came in pretty early. He and Mares, who, for those that are unaware, are characters from the animated series. Um, and are, are, in fact, part of the problem that w- when this line gets shut down, it's because Paramount doesn't like the fact that they're using these kinds of extra characters. But I, when did he go off the ship in this run? I don't know. I don't remember him being on this run. This is the first time we've seen him. <clears throat> yeah, I don't remember that either. I'll go back and check. But you, okay. you guys probably would know better because you've done them all recently. Yeah, more recently anyway. Right. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first time they've shown up in, in the DC run. Huh. Well then, that, cool. then that's, I like that. So I'm, I'm. This issue has merit. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. I thought it was a very interesting choice of characters to bring in from the uh, animated series. Sorry. Right. Well, these they were really the only two animated characters that were regular, you know, every week characters. Um, so I don't know who else you would bring in. Oh, you mean made up for the show? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, they're very interesting. interesting. I thought it was interesting they chose to bring those characters over. If this is the first time they show up, as you guys are suggesting, then then I do remember when when that happened, and I remember being very um, psyched. It was I was like ridiculously happy about it. (laughs) When we were reading it this time, and I knew that you were going to be on the show when when they showed up, and I was like, "Oh, Brian's going to love this because I know that you're a big RX fan." Yeah, yeah, I always thought it was fun. Come on, man! Three arms. <laughs> it's the three legs. legs thing that would be complicated to to walk around with. Yeah, you'd get used to it. Sure. Yeah, especially if you were born with it. But boy, that's right, exactly. Uh, but think about the possibilities. You know, that many arms. I mean, man, that many hands, and you can control them all. It's yeah, pretty, exactly. Pretty cool. Exactly. Now you know that you know on whatever planet that is, they're looking and saying, "How do those?" bipeds possibly do it how can they stand up straight walking on just two legs <laughs> symmetry rules man <laughs> he's not symmetrical i'm sorry i never read it but i think there is an idw issue that was had him on the cover uh yeah it's the star trek year four there one of those has him on the cover i still haven't read that one well there's there's two miniseries i read them back when they first came out at least the first one and and yeah, they're in it. I mean, it's it's set during the animated series time frame, so he's in it. Mares is in it. Hmm. Cool. So, what religion do you think this dude's in? The the zealot. Hmm. <sighs> Who knows? I will never yeah. see him again, right? No, of course not. No. They, they, and I thought it. I thought it was kind of interesting that they decided to make him a religious zealot. It's like, right. oh my god, it's another religious cookpot. It's interesting reading it, you know, today, post nine eleven and all that. At the time, I, you know, what, what what year is this? Nineteen eighty seven. This came out, right? Yeah, eighty seven. They had a different, you know, it was just very comic booky, silly at the time. But you know, re- religious zealot could be. I, I think they very intentionally kept it vague. Right. Yeah. Know? Well, they didn't want to spend any time on that. They just needed a right. threat, and they said, "Oh, let's just make them religious." Yeah, yeah. We won't, we yeah, won't have to explain motiv- it. 
What's the motivation? Well, in the He's future, religious. we don't have religion, so... Anyway. That's true. That They actually say that multiple times. Right. Now, I, I wish they would have just given him more of a explanation as to why he thought Kirk was the devil and yeah. the ship was the demon and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, or he was just a, uh, you know, just a, a crazy person. Right. You know? Right, 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 right. Now, if he was saying, you know, oh, this guy came back from the dead, that's not right. That I could have, I was like, yeah, it's kind of weird. Oh, that's an interesting take, isn't it? That Spock's resurrection is somehow blasphemous. Right. Yeah, but he seems to be uh, obsessed with Kirk. He doesn't, yeah, it's Kirk. Does he, does he ever mention Spock? Nope. Just Kirk and Enterprise being the devil. And besides, what would you say to somebody that had been resurrected? You shouldn't have done that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Oh, it wasn't my doing, and, you know, Stay it's easy dead. for you to say. <laughs> and we've talked about it before. He's not. He didn't really come back to life. He's just a clone with Kirk's, or Spock's memories. Yeah. What? Genesis Planet just created a, another body of his using that's his right. DNA. Using his it's, DNA, that's true. It's not really Spock's body. It's a clone well, what, of Spock's what's body. What's really... What's, okay, so fascinating. Shall we go down that path, then? Eh, we All right, I would a say, person. Flesh and blood, or their insides, their... Don't your cells regenerate every seven years a cycle? Uh, you know, you're a whole <laughs> Isn't that true? I, I've heard that. I've heard that. I've... I, whether that's the exact na- a number of years or whatever, I don't know. But, yeah, your, your, your cells are dying all the time and being replaced. Right. But your kidney cells don't start off as little baby kidneys and then grow back up into adult kidneys, which Spock's did because he was a baby and he grew up. Just, just for yeah. a little. And then a teenager. Yeah. Anyways. Just, and then he had, you know, needs. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, when I first saw that movie, I had no idea they were even hinting at that. Really? No idea. Oh, I, I got it right away. <laughs> 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 I, and I was like, really? Are, is, this what, is this where they're going to go? And then when they went there, I was like, holy cow. Um, it just didn't, I didn't see it coming. But the whole little thing they do with the fingers. Right, which is the same thing Amanda and Sarah do. Right, right. So, no, I, I, I was, I was, you know, I was, I'm a little bit younger than you guys, but I remember when that happened, and I, I might have turned to my dad, Dad, what's pawn far? <laughs> said, I'll tell you when you're older, son. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny, amazing. So, <laughs> I, I've got a, a question about uh, the ship. So, Kirk yeah, calls funny. the Enterprise newly commissioned and newly refurbished. I noticed this too. Is this another one of this? The, you know, yeah, another refit. Exactly. I never thought that when I saw the film, and there it is. I thought, oh, it's brand new. It's That's right. Well, yeah, they use the word refit a lot in this one and in the the issue thirty nine. They mm-hmm. they say at some point that it's a re, it's being refit. Right. Yeah. So I thought it was a brand new mean, ship. Yeah. So does this mean it was like uh, the USS uh, Constitution or something, or Yorktown or something, where it's a different ship? And then they upgraded it and gave it a new, you know gave it the Enterprise name. That's what that's what they are inferring, but I, I don't buy it. I I don't like it. No, 
especially since we've seen the great Star Trek V, where we know that it's a brand new ship and they qu- haven't quite got all the bugs out. Right. You're right. Yeah. I agree. Agree. So it, 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 it really kind of struck me odd. That's fair. And you too, apparently, Brian. Yeah, it did. I, I, I saw it and, it, and it definitely bells went off. I was like, wait a minute! <laughs> <laughs> so, my big complaint with all the shots of the Enterprise is that you never actually see USS Enterprise A on there. They never show the registry number. So. Oh, you're right. Mm, interesting. I would have liked to have seen that. Just because this is the Enterprise A's debut in Star Trek comics. Do you think that that was a choice, or do you think it just they just, just didn't notice? I don't know. I mean, they did know it was Enterprise A when they wrote the book, right? The comic. Yeah, one assumes that that's information that would have been given to them, but who knows? Right. I mean, they did they did do the adaptation of Star Trek Four. Right. Right. Which I've that, never read, so maybe does does it have that last scene with the Enterprise A in it? With all the lights coming on and everything? Showing the A? Well, I'll take a look while we continue to discuss this. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, while you're looking at that, I have something totally different to mention. Uh, On page five, they got a Justice League ad. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, the Justice League, sure. Yeah, so it's... I, I really did not really follow the Justice League that much, so... And it went on for years, and there's different membership, just like the Avengers or whatever. Different people come in, leave, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at this ad in this time period, and there are some people I definitely recognize. And, you know, Martian Manhunter, Batman. Okay, perfect. They got Guy Gardner. I think it's Guy Gardner, version of Green Lantern. Right. Which was a little unexpected for me, but okay, cool. They got Blue Beetle. I think it's Blue Beetle. That's him. Um, I didn't even know he was in the Justice League. Okay, cool. Makes sense, I guess. And then Shaz- Shazam is fine. And then Doc Fate is there. At least I think that's Doc Fate. Yep, and I him. didn't I didn't know he was in Justice League ever. And no Flash or Superman. So I just really interesting. And then there's other characters like some some old balding guy. Who's that? <laughs> he yeah, kind of looks like I don't know who that is. <laughs> he kind of looks like he's got Wolverine facial hair, but he looks really kind of old. So just kind of wondered. Now the Justice League in the eighties, uh, their their roster, uh, they they're often sometimes referred to as the B team, uh, as far as uh, who was in the Justice League, and then, but it became really popular to put these really less popular characters in the book that they actually spun the Justice League off into Justice League International, uh, which was another set of B team B list characters that were part of the justice league where you know wonder woman or batman or somebody would show up once in a while but for the most part it was like fire and ice and booster gold and you know all these you know characters that are interesting characters but not Mm -hmm. headliners of their own books like the like what we think of as classic justice league and international so did they actually really have characters from i know there are uk specific superheroes Mm -hmm. that are in their comics I mean, did they have right. those kind of people in there too? Uh, no, they were still no. written okay. here, but they DC. were, but okay. they were, uh, but they were characters that were supposedly from other countries. Oh, okay. I am out of my depth. That was an interesting little little tangent there, boys. Yeah, yeah. Well, not not really Star Trek related there. Kid. No, I know, but I mean, I saw. But it's, it's a really it's interesting a, page. 
from a Star out. Trek comic book, right? You know, yeah. fair game. Because so you find out. Uh, yes, I did. It is in fact there. The whole scene is there. Uh, they show the Enterprise with NCC seventeen oh one dash A. Only instead of being on the top, like you see in the film, it's from underneath, and it's written. And in in the space dock, there are a thousand other ships, which is weird. Um, but it's it's Big the ships script. Or- uh, some ship? Ship. Huh. Yeah, mostly ones like the Reliant and some some funky ones. They've all gotten the cells, but they're you know they're just playing. Um, and then they have the little thing at the end where the ship leaves and they take off. Right. So yeah, it's, it's it's all there. All the more reason why this ship should have the A. Should, it should, right. should actually have the have a shot, brother. Right. Write a letter. Write a letter. <laughs> Send it in with a stamp. <laughs> a 10 cent stamp because that's what we paid in 88 yeah yeah <laughs> anyways did you guys like all the little you know one or two page per cast character kind of giving their reasoning for getting back on the ship nah I thought it got repetitive and right. like just after it was like oh now we gotta hear this one muse about you know getting back together and it just it got old yeah the, the only two I thought furthered the story was Sulu breaking up with the girlfriend that we've had for the last couple issues, and you know, kind of the well, not even Spock, but kind of the B team, Barclay and them, or not Barclay, Barclay and them showing back up. That was that was really all that I thought was interesting. But the Spock thing totally set up the end. Um, right. His his insecurities are not sure if he's quite a hundred percent back normal yet. Questioning, yeah, that was good actually. I thought that was yeah, that one, I guess that worked. I thought that the breakup was kind of harsh and fast. I was just like, oh, really? she's a she's a biatch, <laughs> kind of. I'm sorry, and then that, really? and that uh-uh. he's better off without her. Yeah. So he puts her on a shuttle and sends her into the sun. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been good. Yeah, all he had to do was say she was infected with the Andorian virus from a couple of episodes back. Yeah, what are you gonna do? It's it's tragic, but you got to do what you got to do. Exactly. <laughs> it's like she, what what a uh, what a ladder climber. <laughs> we are referencing the last show. If people don't know that, yeah, the last issue of when, in order to get things back to uh, the way they were in between the films. They had to take an entire crew and send them into the sun uh, to burn up and yeah. be gone. But they listened to all of our previous episodes. Of course they know that. They, they hang on our every word. There you go. Mm-hmm. They are legion. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. You just cut that whole thing out. <sighs> I, I forgot. They are a loyal bunch. <laughs> or at least you are. You show up. Anyway, see, that's it. There you go. <laughs> it's a, excellent and intelligent, too. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a refined crowd. Yes. Well, that's all I got to say about this one. Yeah. I, I got one more thing, if I may. Um, Please. When the console explodes on Scotty, wouldn't it have been interesting if McCoy mentioned that uh, Scotty loses a finger? <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then that would match up to... Right. Yeah, because Jimmy James Doohan Doohan. was missing a, f- a finger. Right, right, right. Did they ever show that? I mean, no. They didn't talk no. about it, but do they actually draw him that way? No, they never do, but it would have been a nice little nod that 
you know, the, the reality. At least the comic books could have made a nod to it, where the movies and everything go out of their way to make sure that they don't show his hand. Huh. I never really noticed that they did that. I just thought I didn't notice. Yeah, I think they even have a hand double for uh, in Star Trek V when uh, oh, really? in that incredibly bizarre uh, Scotty's going to get with a horror scene. It shows oh, him holding, no, 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 no. shows him holding her hand, and it's the hand that he's supposed to be missing the middle finger on, and yet in that hand it has a middle finger. I didn't think I could hate that scene more. <laughs> <laughs> but I always thought, you know, he's an engineer. He, his hands are in all this stuff that could explode at any moment. It, why not just it makes acknowledge sense. that he at one time that had a little sense. mishap? Uh, but no, they they gotta make sure. Everybody's perfect in the future. Mm. I guess so. But anyway, so so that's kind of yeah. like uh, Radar O'Reilly on Mash. Why? Uh, what happened there? I don't because his his he's got a genetic birth defect. His his I think it was his left hand is all messed up. Oh really? Yeah, uh, I forgot that. the I forgot the actor's name. Gary Berghoff. Gary. Oh, there you go. So that's why when you ever see him, he's always got like a notepad or something in his hand or books or oh. paperwork or something like that. Cause it's always being, you know, his hand is, is def- unfortunately, you know, messed up hand is uh, being hidden all the time. Hmm. Hmm. I did yeah, not know that either. A little piece of TV history. Interesting. All right. Are we ready for issue 38? I think yeah, we are. I can't wait to find out how this storyline continues. Continues. I'd love it. Exactly. All right. Yeah, we've been waiting, waiting, waiting. Yeah, now that they're all on the ship, let's see a big adventure with them. All right. Here we go. Here's the synopsis for DC Volume 1, Issue 38, from May of 1987. Michael Fliger, possibly Pliger, guest scriptwriter. Adam Kubert, guest penciler. Ricardo Villagran, inker. Augustine Moss, letterer, Michelle Wolfman, colors, Robert Greenberger, editor. The cover is an action shot looking through a door at an original series-era Kirk running up a staircase in the midst of a firefight. Below him, four aliens, who are clearly bad shots, are shooting phasers at him as they stand beneath a series of Aztec or Mayan-looking ruins. Kirk's left hand is pulling a well-armed, scantily clad, purple-haired white woman along with him. We've all been there. They are at the top of the stairs, where through the door, waiting to strike, awaits an angry, armed, well-built, purple conehead. Above, a banner bears the title, Love and Death. The story is set during the original five-year mission. In the editor's notes at the end, Robert Greenberger explains that there were issues getting the planned mud issue. It's a strange use of those words. There were issues getting the planned mud issue out on time. But luckily, they had this issue of the comic book waiting in the wings to fill the gap, thus explaining the break in continuity. The first splash page calls the story The Argon Affair. The Enterprise is fighting off an Argon pirate ship that had illegally entered Federation space. They are a formidable foe. But using photon torpedoes, the Enterprise is able to beat the purple cone-headed, buff, and apparently naked Argons. They disable two Argon ships 
and allow a third to escape. They have won, but with serious damage to the ship, to which Scotty begins to assess the damage, and they head for Starbase 10 for repairs. Apparently, Starbase 10 is on a planet, as Kirk and Spock beam down to make a report with Commodore Stalker, who suggests that they take some time and explore the planet's archaeological ruins. Kirk and Spock explore the ruins while discussing the pros and cons of love and emotion, waxing philosophically about the role of love in human relations. Spock gets called away by Mr. Scott, who needs his help. As soon as Spock transports away, Kirk witnesses a group of Argons attacking a woman, the one described on the cover. Kirk runs over and intervenes, fighting the Argons. The woman says she had it covered as they continue to fight, and more Argons arrive. They run for the observatory, running up the stairs, her first, Kirk second. They are trapped in the observatory, where the woman introduces herself as Connie McQueen and tells the story of how Argons killed her father, and she has been set on revenge for four years, killing Argons. She was captured by them and was in the midst of an escape when Kirk rescued her. Kirk's communicator is missing, but they hold up and wait for Spock to notice that he he is missing. Indeed, they are looking for him on the Enterprise. Some Argons penetrate the observatory. Kirk stuns some, and Connie kills a few. Kirk has a shoulder graze, Their fort is open now, and they must escape, but not before breaking the sexual tension with a kiss. They discuss themselves uh, in the... They disguise themselves in the dead Argon's uniforms and make their break, scaling down the wall. They are seen and attacked by Argon's with bad aim. Enterprise crew locates them and beams them away back up to the ship in the nick of time. Kirk has Connie checked by McCoy and orders that she be given hospitality. As soon as she has the chance, she attempts to plant a bug in the program of the deflector array, sabotaging the ship. Her thought bubbles tell us that she is working with the Argons as planned all along. She's almost caught by Kirk, who flirts with her and wants to spend time together. Back on the bridge, the Argon ship attacks, and when the deflector is switched on, it works perfectly. Shocking Connie and allowing the Enterprise to win the battle. Kirk reveals that he knew she was a spy because he had her watched. He has learned uh, to do that when he is feeling love for someone. (laughs) She is taken into custody and the conversation on love and trust continues as Kirk recognizes how much he has learned from all his failed relationships. The crew is glad they have each other and Jim has his ship. The end. Wow. I know, I made that sound exciting, didn't I? <laughs> it's a good thing Kirk has learned not to trust love. Isn't that kind of what you got from that, or is that me? No, that's, no, that's, that's pretty that's much what he it. said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah making lemons out of lemonade. <laughs> I got to say, the explanation was a little ridiculous, though. I, I figured he was going to, like, what, he's, he, like, ran a background check on her or something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, don't they have those those things where you can check on the people you're dating for the first time or something? I thought that's what Kirk did. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he definitely made it sound like uh, I don't trust any woman that would like me, so I ever followed. You know, <laughs> <laughs> look at the color of her hair. Come on, how fake. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, you know, I did like the cover, actually. I thought it was, it did have that, uh, Ken had mentioned earlier that it, it has a sort of gold key feel to it. And I would agree, it had that kind of old school thing going. Yeah. Um, but here's some, some criticisms I had. Why, why would Kirk have his phaser, like, tucked at his side and an empty hand? You know what I mean? Even in the middle of this firefight, wouldn't he have his phaser in his hand? That just didn't work. Agreed. You see it? Oh, we see it. Okay. Um, it's because he's running and he's going to have to carry her or something. Uh, I don't know. It didn't work. The um, And what is that with the guy shooting the rock? I don't get it. It's like... It's because he's yeah. missed. I guess so, like, really badly. And uh, I like the fact that this is actually feels like it's right from the story. Now, when you actually go in, there are some differences, which is fine. It's, we've talked about this before. Covers often don't depict, you know, the actual story um, literally. It's sort of evocative of. But this is pretty close because when you get to the um, the actual story, you see it from the other perspective. You see uh, the artwork is down at the bottom of the stairs and they're going running up. And I don't know, I just kind of liked the fact that at least it tied into the story pretty closely. Right. Like she's got a weapon. She's got a phaser, though. Right, she does. On the cover, and, but not in the book. Well, sure, and in the story... There's nobody waiting for them on, inside, and there's and she's going first, and they're not holding hands, you know. So, that, but that's all fine. I don't have a problem with that. I just liked that it was, it was clearly a, like a you know a scene inspired by the story inside. The aliens look different though uh, from the cover on mm-hmm. the inside, don't you think? Uh, uh, no, I, I I I don't think they look that much different. Although yeah, I must I say so. that the first time you do see them in their ship, when the Enterprise... And they're naked. They're not only naked, but they got well, an awful lot of genitalia here. They're well endowed. I think, I think that's a tail. <laughs> I think that's a tail, I guys. think the tail's in the wrong place. <laughs> I think it's badly drawn. You're right. I hadn't even thought of that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, they probably didn't expect to be on viewer. You know what I mean? <laughs> I just, I just thought the design was a little interesting. Yeah, and and instead of and they've got an opposable thumb on their feet, which I think is pretty cool. And one foot. That's handy. Well, you think they don't have both? I don't know. One foot looks like it has like four toes, like normal toes, and then the other one has the three toes, which kind of looks like a a three-toed hand. Oh yeah, I guess. I guess. Did anybody anyway, else... it's an interesting design. Did you think Conehead? When you, oh, when you totally. Looked... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Totally. The Coneheads already existed at this point, so <laughs> why would they draw it? Why would well, they draw it? Coneheads that... are from France. These guys were from another <laughs> alien. These were, these were aliens. Yeah. yeah. Well, exactly. Mm. But yeah, I was, I was kind of stunned by the, the, the naked Argoni, Argon captain and crew. It was just like, what? <laughs> yeah, that's on page two if anybody wants to thumb through and find out what exactly. we're talking So about. when they're on the planet, though, they've got, like, armor on and they got clothes. But, you know, right. when they're home, you know, they kind of loosen up. They take their shirt off <laughs> and everything else. <laughs> I guess clearly they do. They do. Um. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Anyway, what did, you, what did you think? First of all, did it jar you that it was not in the continuity? Could, you know, I, I remember when this came out, and I remember seeing it and being like, 
Oh. You know, I mean... I, I, <laughs> oh! <laughs> I was glad to read an original series story. I, you know, it was kind of fun, but it did feel very weird. In fact, I think, you know, I used to read all of the letters and all of the things in the back, and um, I, I didn't read it recently when we just did it, the last issue, but I think they were, they were pitching the Harry Mudd appearance, and so they're really apologetic in this about how they didn't get to the Harry Mudd thing in time, and um, so we have this issue, isn't that great? And uh, it's clearly all different artists doing it. Um, and then, sure enough, when you get to the next issue, which we'll cover, they're like, see, we got here. We told you we'd get here to Harry Mudd, you know. Right. And I, I, I think Harry Mudd is fine. I just wasn't all that, like, brokenhearted that I had to wait another month. No. <laughs> but, uh, but I was like, I remember thinking, just, just, I was into the continuity. Yeah. Well, yeah. right. I mean, you just came off of Star Trek Four. You want to read more about what happens right after Star Trek Four, not take a step back to get a little one-off. Right. The, the, all they did in the last issue, as we just discussed, was pull the crew back together and tell their stories, and you know, have a silly little, you know, subplot. And now we're ready to kind of go, and we're going to go back to five-year mission. Right. So. Well, not ideal, but what the heck? It's all Star. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, it was fine. They can pull that off. So, so obviously, I mean, they they kind of mentioned that this issue was just kind of like there, and they and they're publishing it as like a filler. So it kind of makes you wonder how many of these issues did DC have that were just kind of sitting in the back burner, ready to be uh, just published. Yeah, I mean, and and where do they come from? And do the artists get paid if they do the work but don't doesn't get published? Or maybe they have these for this reason. It's almost like doing a podcast and having lots in the bank. Right. Um, The only thing is, how much does it cost to to produce a comic? Uh, I mean, not actually printing it because we're not talking about that, but actually drawing it, editing it, you know, setting everything up. And how many of those you going to spend money on that you may never use? And here's a question: Does um, maybe, maybe that's not what happened? Maybe they didn't have this sitting around. Maybe they just called up some people and said, "Hey, we are really behind. We just need somebody to quickly throw something together. Can, can you do it?" Yeah, good point. You know, that could be maybe right because I mean, all the the letters and colors and ink are, are you know the the same team that normally does it. It's just the <clears throat> guest script and penciler. And Adam Kubert, correct me if I'm wrong. He he's Huge in the, in the comic books, right? Isn't he um, part of that Kubert art school and things like that? Uh, and I think they even have a little ad in one of these issues of, for that school. Hmm. Didn't know that. Uh, Did know that I, I just knew him from the video game. <laughs> Kubert. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. Yeah, uh, I think his father was Joe Kubert, who um, is... Does the Joe Kubert School of Cartoon and Graphic Art Inc. Huh. There's a advertisement for it at the end of issue number 37. Hmm. So I'm pretty sure they're related because uh, I've seen the names together before. So, hmm. so maybe they just like, hey, whip this out because you're the teacher. <laughs> hey, did you guys notice that the the ending um, dramatic? part was the exact same story as the issue that we just read. You know, somebody's going to sabotage the ship yeah. and they take a little oh, yeah. thing. Two issues in a row. Open. Right, the exact yeah, same just, thing. Just two issues in a row. <laughs> oh, there's more? Surely it wouldn't do it again. Huh. 
No. But yes. Oh wait. Well, okay. You're talking about the the next issue. We don't know that sabotage. <laughs> well, we haven't got there yet. Uh, yeah, that's true. I agree. On, right? it, it was very very odd that it was the same plot for these two issues, or at least the what was going on with the Enterprise. Right. Right. The, the uh, peril. Exactly. Maybe she's the religious zealot, and she didn't succeed with the old Enterprise. So then the guy in the last issue was her brother continuing the mission that she mm. failed at. Could be. Mm? Well, mm? Older brother. We never really learn her. Am I right? We don't really learn her actual motivation. She tells Kirk a motivation, which is part of the, the cover story. But we don't know why she's working with the Argons or what she's right. getting out of it, do we? Nope, nothing. No. Just that they're partners or something. They're in league. We don't know why. Yeah, I don't get it. No, but now we know why she has such a sexy outfit on. To do yeah. That work. Exactly. And so the Argons are like, you know, we hear uh, Turk's kind of a horn dogger, so let's get this. Uh, <laughs> let's get this lady all uh, dressed up in this coconut outfit, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it really is a pretty bad outfit. It is. Like by every in, in every way. <laughs> so if she's working for them, and they're all on the same team, yes, she kills quite a few of them. So I noticed that. So would it? They appears. know they were going to die for the cause. Well, do you know they died? I mean, some of those people fell off of the top of that well, that open roof, right? Kirk says her phaser's not set to stun. Set to kill. Set to kill. So I'm assuming he knew, you know, maybe he saw the little thing flip around to kill. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is retro. This is before they had, what, OSHA or something? Uh, Regulations (laughs) where you had to be a little safer than that? But they didn't vaporize. She didn't vaporize them, did she? Nope. So, no, they had to get the uh, things off. Yeah. Well, maybe they're really good actors. Oh! Ah! fall down now i i hated that part though i mean we've talked about it before if you get hit with a phaser it doesn't matter where you get hit you're dead or you're stunned or whatever there's no there's no flesh wound when it comes to phasers (laughs) yet in here again he gets shot in the arm and he's just kind of shrugs it off like well it depends upon what it's set to if it's disintegrate you're 100 percent right uh, but if it's set the heat, <laughs> then it just heats up the rock. Yes, I get it. But <laughs> they say that these are set to kill. She, she kills one. He says, your phaser's not set to kill. And she says, either are theirs. And then he gets hit and he doesn't die. And I'm like, you just said they weren't set to stun. He should be dead. Or his arm should be flown off or something. Right. Should, something other than just exactly. that. My, my shirt got ripped a little bit. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't know. Just be consistent. Be consistent. Yeah, I'm I'm for that. So mm. the ruins, not to take it away from what you were just talking about, but moving yep. on. Um it looked like the ruins they were looking at looked a lot like Chichen Itza in yes. Mexico. Yes, that's that's why I said I couldn't remember if it, it, it just was evocative of South America to me. I didn't could remember if it was Mayan or uh, Aztec or Right. What was Chichen Itza? Which, which civilization built Chichen Itza? I can't uh, say. It. I don't remember exactly. Mayan sounds good. 
Mayans, ah, one of them. But Chichen Itza is outside of, it's close to Cancun. Right, right. right. So it reminded me of that quite a bit. Uh, also, those tourists, that those tourists uh, couple, they had amazingly contemporary outfits on, I thought. And cameras. Uh-huh. Uh. Oh, camera. Let me go back and look yeah, at the he camera. He has a 35 millimeter camera. Looks like Peter oh, Parker. Oh, really? Yeah, it looks oh like God. it. It is Peter Parker. It is Peter Parker. <laughs> <laughs> that does kind of look like it. it that's Parker even old-fashioned for this day. I don't These days. think so. Yeah, that, that clothes, those clothes are completely 20th century. Yeah. There's nothing not 20th century about them. Right. He's even got a, a white T-shirt on. Yeah. <laughs> And the hairstyles and everything, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, it'll become po- it'll become popular again. You know, fashions come and go. <laughs> right, right. And then the uh, suicide ad, suicide squad ad. Yeah, I like that. I thought that. Yeah. Was- yeah, that's interesting. Actually, in the in the notes at the end, one of these issues, they talk about suicide squad, and he's saying, "I and, and I'm working on another book too. It's this new idea, and uh, you're gonna. It's, it was interesting to hear him talking about it." He's saying it's it's not about the good guys, but it's not your typical bad guy group, and uh, it was just fun to hear his enthusiasm. Cool. Yeah, that's another movie I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I suppose I hear I don't know if this this is all rumor, but because <clears throat> that last Queen, uh, it's, it's the the Queen song is in there, and it's just an awesome trailer. Awesome trailer. Yeah. So uh, supposedly the trailer is so good, they're like reshooting some bits and re-editing a bit to make the movie more like the trailer. Yeah. Supposedly. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, I heard the director and some of the actors said that they're just refilming some of the action shots that, that they just get to. Because, yeah, and, and who knows which one's the truth, but they were trying to downplay the... Uh, we're trying to add more humor to it, uh, aspect which the other articles were implying. Oh, that's so, right. I don't know which one's true, and I don't care. I just want it to be a good movie. Yeah, it right. looks good. Yeah, I, I I've never really read Harley Quinn's story. Sorry, never have. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that story either. But I mean, I I know the backstory from things I've read, but I've never read a a, a, a comic book with her in it. I guess she came from an animated. Batman series. Yeah, she came from Batman animated series. Yep. Cool, but I love her in this, in the trailer. Anyway, she is great. Looking <laughs> forward to it. When is that due? Um, August, I believe. Ah. Great. Okay. All right. Anything else for this issue? Because uh, I. Don't... Well, I do want to say one thing. Yeah, I, I, I didn't like that. Um. Scotty had to ask Spock for help for technical stuff. That always bothers me in the motion picture too. Actually, that it, that they're I mean, Scotty's supposed to be the master of the engines, right? And uh, it's not until Spock comes on board that they figure out what's wrong. And um, and in this, you know, him sort of saying, oh, "I can't do it. Maybe you could come help me." <laughs> and it just didn't work. And I missed something. What is the deal with? They're going to Starbase 10, but they end up on the planet. What? Starbase 10 is on a planet? Is that what I'm supposed to say? A tourist trap planet, yeah. <laughs> a tourist trap planet. 
<laughs> That's real history. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, you guys just, are just, just smooching and having pirate fights. I did like that at one point they mentioned, um, oh, all these pirate groups like the Argons and the Orions. And that was also a um, reference to the animated series. There's the an Argons? Episode. No, the, the, the Pirates of Orion. Right. Uh, I don't think that that comes well, they, from... Well, they had Orions at Todd's. They had or- the Orion Slave Girl. Right. But they didn't say anything about pirates. I thought they did. I thought they talked about the Orion Syndicate, or was that not until the next generation? Uh, I, I I don't remember details about the Syndicate, but yeah, definitely I agree with you, Slave Girl, definitely. But uh, yeah, no. So anyway, when they said pirates like the Orions, I just was like, oh, good for them. <laughs> so I, I I didn't like it because I thought they were just name dropping to try to justify. This species that we've never heard of. <laughs> Which, the species that uses English letters and numbers. Did y'all catch that? No. No. They're, uh, they have uh, numeric numbers on their ships, and they're in what we would see as numbers. Uh-huh. So they all have like a one or a two or whatever on their hull. Yeah, that's bad. I did not notice that. It's not even part of the Federation, so you can't even... Oh, like... you don't need... Oh, so the I see the number one, or what appears to be a number one to us. <laughs> <laughs> it could be the number 57, you don't know, to them. But yeah, I, I do see a number one on the front. Well, but, okay, so other scenes, they've... Other panels, uh, it's actually showing more. Yeah, I thought it did, but I'm going through them. I can't find another one. Just a lot of ones. A lot of ones. Okay. But I think that one there is a two behind it. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, regardless, okay. they definitely have ones on them. Right. And it shouldn't. Nope. All right. All right. I got one last thing. I got one last thing I would love somebody to explain to me. And maybe I'm just off on this. Wouldn't be the first time in this uh, episode. But um, they keep talking about deflector shields. Okay, so I want to have a discussion of deflector shields versus shields versus the deflector. Okay. Hmm. So okay. we all know that the deflector is the big dish on the front that looks like a radio thing that mm-hmm. shoots out a strong beam of, of energy in front of the ship when it's at warp to move even dust particles out of the way so that the ship is not pierced by a piece of dust. At right. each high wharf's peak. So we know that. And we know the right. shields are generated and kind of stop at some some point around the ship. And it, and it guards the ship from, you know, whatever. They may be based on the same technology, but they're not really the same device. The shield right. emitters are in a different place from the deflector, uh, the deflector beam, or whatever they call it. Deflector array. So they keep on calling it, many times in this issue, uh, deflector shields. So, and, and what they're talking about is the defensive system, not the... Oh, okay. So I just, I'm just a little confused over terminology. Yeah, that sounds like they just didn't know what they were doing, and they just called it the wrong thing. That's, I, I can't see any rational reason for calling the shields the deflector shields. And it's not the first time a comic book has called it deflector shield, by the way. 
but it just, right. every time it pops up, it's not that often, but when it pops up, it just kind of, I just wondered if there's some basis of that. I'm not aware of it, you know, in the show or stuff like that. Right. So, oh, no. Can't help you. I understand why you're upset about it. I would be. I'm very, I'm very upset. Yeah. Write a letter. Right. <laughs> write a letter. Answer for everything. <laughs> write a letter. Stop your whining and write a letter. <laughs> to who? <laughs> write a letter to. Well, I guess. I guess I can write to them. But yeah, there's an address right in the book. Oh, oh there you go. I'm sure that's still <laughs> good since '87. Maybe it is. <laughs> is it the six 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 address? <laughs> I don't know. I always thought it was funny that their address for DC Comics was 666. Yeah, 666 Fifth Avenue, New York, New York. Oh. 10103. Sounds demonic. They've actually moved. They're in, I think they're in California now, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. Okay, last thing to say. Maybe it's still forwarded. Who knows? Of course. Last thing to say briefly, how did Kirk know to... Uh, put in the countermeasures uh, on the shields and not some other part of the ship. Like, because what about the phasers? Right. What about the engines? Right, right. I just, I, just, I just thought I'd mention that. Well, he did smooch on her right there. He could have just known that that was the uh, array for the shields. <laughs> I don't okay. know. Okay. Okay. I, I just thought it was a, a simplification that Kirk knew exactly what part of the ship might be compromised. Right. And asked Scotty to put countermeasures. Okay, that's it. All right, shall we move on? Let's move. All right, this is issue 39. came out June of 1987, entitled, When You Wish Upon a Star. Uh, Lynn Wynn is the writer. Tom Sutton and Ricardo Villagran are the illustrators. Augustin Moss is the letterer. Michelle Wolfman, colorist, Robert Greenberger, the editor. So the cover shows a gigantic head and hand of Harry Mudd. And he's balancing a Starfleet officer, presumably Kirk, on the tip of his index finger. And the caption reads, The Return of Harry Mudd. So the story starts off where issues 37 ended, with the newly minted Enterprise A out on patrol. Suddenly, Sulu and Oryx are unable to control the ship, and it's heading in the wrong direction at warp speed. Kirk detect, oh, excuse me, Spock detects no outside force at work, and Sulu confirms that he has the right heading locked in. Kirk orders Scotty to give all power to the engines to try to break away. Straining the new ship to her limits, she is unable to break free from the current course. Defeated, Kirk allows them to go along with the ride and asks to be awakened when they get there. Eventually, they come out of warp and enter orbit around a small planet. Spock's scans show hundreds of life forms, but only two brainwave patterns. This is impossible, so Kirk arranges for an away team to beam down and investigate. As the away team... As the away team Kirk chooses, which surprisingly does not include himself or Dr. McCoy, get ready to beam down, instead Spock, Mares, Scotty, McCoy, and Kirk are transported to the planet instead, with the latter three not even being on the transporter pads. 
Once they're on the planet, they walk in what seems to be a desert until they get to a very odd-looking city. That also seems a little familiar. As they continue to walk towards it, Scotty remembers where he's seen it before. It looks just like Wrigley's Pleasure Planet. They are then greeted by a small purple alien with a snout. He welcomes them and offers to answer anything that they want to know. When they ask things like, where are we? He gives answers like, here, which is close to there, but not quite yonder, and things like that. Frustrated, the team leave the alien and continue to walk. As they're walking, McCoy says that he wishes they would just get to the bottom of this, when suddenly they fall down a large hole. The free fall turns into a slide and they land into a huge airbag. Wishing that they had a way out, a lighted sign suddenly appears with the words, this way out. When they walk through it, and when they walk through with a side, thank you, the sign changes to, you're welcome. Back outside, they are greeted again by the purple alien, who tells them to follow the yellow brick road. Seeing no way, seeing no way to fight the madness, they do so, and they make their way to a building filled with several of the purple aliens. They all chant welcomes and point to the center of the building, implying that that's where their leader is. As they get closer to the altar, a man at the podium greets them, and perhaps the worst-kept secret in all of comicdom, it is Harry Mudd. No! You didn't see that one coming? I didn't. Oh. My God. Well, it, except for the return of Harry Mudd on the cover and, the, and then his and, picture. And his picture. <laughs> which fills up the entire cover. But other than that, I didn't have a clue. Or the previous I, issue that talked about it in the letters section. That's right. Yeah, it's coming, it's coming, and then we're really sorry it's not coming yeah, I had the exact same thought. When I got to that, I was like, really? Like this huge reveal? It, it, it. <laughs> and if I really was a Harry Mudd fan, which I'm not particularly, but um, if I was, I would be like, have the same feeling I had at the end of Unification. I was just going to say that. <laughs> you know? It was just like, oh, gosh, Leonard Nimoy's going to be on Spock's going to be on the next generation. And he's so excited. And then you watch the episode, and he's in the last five seconds. That was, <laughs> that was just stretching it out. Exactly. Oh, it's so true. I remember when that Next Generation episode came out. I, I, you know, my mom was a big fan of the original series, but she didn't really care for Next Generation that much. And then, you know, I kept telling her, oh, we got to watch it this week together because Spock's going to be on it. Spock's going to be on it. And we, we sat there and watched the whole thing, and he doesn't show up till the very end. Uh, and then who knows if we could, what, what we were doing. So she may never even seen the second part. Oh, <laughs> uh, that'd be too bad. It's a, it's a great, actually, the first part is actually really good, too. Um, it's a, that, that, that is a great two-part episode. They did a good job. And, you know, it's interesting is that every now and then I think about the fact that Leonard Nimoy essentially did that to advertise Star Trek VI. You know, cause there's a little tie-in. They, they talk about what happened when he made peace with the Klingons. And um, he was the producer of that film, of course. <laughs> so he, you know, that, that's why we got unification. I never thought of that. No, no, he says it. It's, That's I, the only I, reason why he did it, was to get people to go see the movie. That was his motivation, yes. Huh. Interesting. Yep. It actually, it aired, I think, just about the exact same time that the movie came out. 
did it. Yeah. It was a brilliant cross-marketing thing. Yeah. That's what it was. Just like this comic book. Really? What? Oh. Guess not. <laughs> that, was, that was sarcasm, gentlemen. Oh, sorry. Um, right. Yeah. And uh, I, I just felt like this comic book was a... Was, this, I didn't like this story. No. Well, aside from the horrible way to introduce mud, I mean, what else is wrong with it? It's, it has well, action and humor and, and I mean... In a purple Jar Jar well, Binks? Isn't that what people like now? <clears throat> no, okay, I don't think there was much action. And I don't think there was they much... They fell down a hole, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they fell onto a big cushion... Chair cushion or something, a big pillow. Yeah, I just wish it was a giant whoopee cushion, and when they landed, it goes. Now that would have been funny. <laughs> that would have been funny. Yeah, yeah, I found this comic was kind of like some kind of a cross between Shore Leave and I Mud. Mm-hmm. So it had like Shore Leave, an original toss episode, first season. I'm pretty sure they come to a planet where. Reality is changing around them. Things they think about become real. That's completely surely. Yep. And then in well, I even, Mud, yeah. What? I was gonna say even to the point where they had, you know, the White Rabbit and things like that there in Shirley. There you go. And then uh, in I Mud, there was an android that Mud used to kidnap the Enterprise and bring the Enterprise to the planet that he was at. So it certainly looks. Like, although there's no Android involved, as far as I know, they're doing the same thing. You know, Mud is engineering the kidnapping of the Enterprise. Hmm. Yep. So, wasn't Shore Leave the one that had Wrigley's Pleasure Planet? Wasn't that the same one? Was that Wrigley's Pleasure Planet? I I don't think so. I don't don't think it ever got a name, that planet. Oh, okay. Because that was like, I mean, that was an alien race's planet. So, maybe Zortbots, Pleasure Planet? I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe think of, of, is it Ryza? It's not Ryza. That was the, the Next Generation's Pleasure Planet. Right, but they didn't have, like, matter transmitting things into your any whim. They had a very <laughs> pliable population. Right. Right, okay. That wore flimsy things. <laughs> There's a lot of that. <laughs> right. So, anyways, so I'm still not following you why you didn't like this issue. <laughs> it just didn't. It didn't grab me. They, you know, they the ship gets sucked away. They have no control. They beam down inadvertently and walk around. That's. And yeah. they meet they meet an annoying character. That was kind of it. And then a lot of annoying characters, which wasn't any better. Right. right. So do you think he's on the planet by just him and one purple guy that somehow is able to replicate himself? Because didn't he say there's hundreds of life forms with only two brain waves, and all the purple dudes seem to look the same? So could they be Good point. all could, the same guy? Could be. I can't remember what happens. I haven't read the next one yet, so we'll see. Why the reference? Why the reference to the Wizard of Oz? What was that? 
because it's a classic, and they're trying to be like Shore Leave, which made references to Alice in Wonderland. Maybe. Maybe. I yeah, I'm, I'm reserving my final judgment on that. I I just thought it was out of place. I, I think it's a decision the writer made, but I, I don't think there's any spe- special significance with it. I don't think. Well, I'm I am I'm a, a Wizard of Oz fan, um, oh. pretty big one, and I got to say there was one image where they're walking down the yellow brick road, and the last character is Maress, and so they've got her tail out, and it really it really. Oh. Is, very evocative of, of the... The Cowardly Lion. Of the Cowardly Lion, Lion. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, <laughs> I wrote down a note that, okay, everybody that was swept away off the Enterprise were the main characters. You know, the, the big top stars of the show. And even some of the second-tier stars weren't touched. Sulu didn't go anywhere. Chekhov, Uhura. But they brought Emress. And I'm, I'm not sure if I'm saying her name right. but So why'd they take her? And then in that scene, when they're going to the Yellow Brick Road, and she looks like the cowardly lion with a red coat on. <laughs> that's why I they said, took her. That's why they took her. Okay. <laughs> I get it now. Uh, it all makes sense. All right. So you, you think that it's going to be more of a Wizard of Oz thing, where, they, where they're going to actually go through the plot of Wizard of Oz, where they all get something <laughs> that they're missing? I, I don't think so. I, I, I hope they meet some winged monkeys. Oh, a little purple guy looks kind of like that. Not Does the he? wings. Does he have one? I, okay, so I don't want to take us off track too much here, but okay. So you're were you sarcastic about being a Wizard of Oz fan? No, I love the Wizard of Oz. Okay. What is the one thing you like best? If you had to say one thing you like best about the Wizard of Oz, most memorable, what would it be? Ooh, anything? Anything? Like Wizard of Oz? That's a hard question. Um, it would be that to this day. I want to know where the red brick road goes. <laughs> Ooh, the red brick road. As a child, whenever I watched the movie, and I, I watched it a lot, and um, in the theaters a lot, a couple of years ago it came out in IMAX 3D, right? which was amazing, and the soundtrack was cleaned up beautifully. And what was, you know how, <laughs> you know how when Dorothy leaves Munchkinland, she stops just short of falling into the, the whacking into the painted wall, mm-hmm. which is which is the rest of the scenery. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. In the 3D version, you couldn't tell. It like it all blended beautifully. Um, and I, I don't know. I just really appreciated that. Is I that available it. like on, on Blu-ray or something? I yeah, no they released it on Blu-ray and 3D Blu-ray. I'd be very interested in seeing that. It was really good. In fact, and being on... Um, I couldn't believe that the transfer was amazing. And being on IMAX, you know, this huge thing, I saw details I never saw before. The only thing that I will say is that when I, it was blown up so beautifully, some of the prosthetic work was just, it, you could see too many flaws, you know? Like you could see the witch's like chin those? piece uh, and her uh, nose, uh. you know, because it was just right there. Right. Um, but when you see big scenes like um, the Munchkinland uh dancing and whatnot there are details that i never noticed before that are really fun cool mm-hmm. yeah all right what about you ken what what's the one thing you like about it since you brought my it one thing is when i first see the winged monkeys <laughs> when i was a kid and i saw that and it was like those are the scariest things i've ever seen in my life <laughs> they really freaked me out yeah they freaked me out too that's that that's my thing 
You, Donovan? Um, I don't really have one. Really? I I enjoyed it. Uh, it was always like you know, when it came on TV, you know that once once a year. I mean, it was always yep. a big event to uh, make sure that you came in from playing in time to watch The Wizard of Oz that year. But uh, <laughs> I, I yep, can't exactly. say I have one particular scene that I like. We went over to my grandparents because they had a color TV. So on that night, we would Ooh. we'd all go over to see it in color. Cool. And I do love the I do love the the black and white to color thing. I think that that was beautiful. Yeah, you know, oh, it's yeah. really it's smart. So, it was fun. And if you read the book, if the original L. Frank Baum, Wonderful Wizard of Oz, he describes Kansas as gray. Everything is gray. Auntie M is gray. The sky is gray. Um, which is interesting because this is before color movies. You know, it was written in the end of the eighteen hundreds. Um, and they picked yeah, up. But have that. you ever been to Kansas? <laughs> <laughs> I've been through it. <clears throat> uh, I, I lived in Kansas for a while, and you would think that they would embrace Wizard of Oz, but they don't. They don't really. No. Maybe no. because it is kind of downplaying <laughs> how great the state is. It's all black and white. Right. <laughs> Anyways, did uh, just real quick, and we'll probably cut this out. But did you like the? Oz, great and powerful movie they made. I thought it was fun. It was yeah. okay. I, I'm uh, just gonna say I loved it. I thought it was. I thought it was fantastic. I, I watched it, was it once. Hilarious and hilarious in the right places. You know, <laughs> like when all the munchkins come out singing, and he's like, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> <laughs> that and the and you know a lot of the one liners the monkey had. You know, like 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 the wizard Oz. He says something about bananas he's like oh do you want a banana he's like what because i'm a monkey you think we all just love bananas he's like oh sorry he's like uh, so you don't want the banana he's like of course i want the banana i love bananas <laughs> i just thought, I, thought, I thought it was a pretty funny movie that's pretty good what but i seem like i'm and the reason i asked is because it seems like nobody else liked that movie except well I, I think there was too many parts of it that just didn't entertain i think too many parts of it were just it just dragged in my opinion, and then then they had the pat ending. What, what it was projections and stuff. Oh right, right. I I just didn't think that the uh, solution the wizard came up with was that effective, but whatever. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually really like the Wicked series of books, that, and of course, I am totally unfamiliar with that. They I've never seen the movie. I've never seen the play or read the books. Oh my gosh! You guys get some culture. Go see the play; <laughs> it's amazing. And uh, and the books are are actually really. I found them. I mean, I'm a pretty avid reader, and I actually found them to be hard to read. Um, Gregory Maguire, the author, his prose are like you have to like take them apart piece by piece and reread sentences, and it's really good, but it's just thick. Mm. Um, I found it, t- it took me a long time to read, um, and but but he does a really good job at taking the whole Oz world and completely turning it. It's this dystopian Oz, right. uh, which is, you know, just a cool idea. So anyway, back to Star Trek comic books. Let's review some other notes here. Did anybody notice that Scotty once again in both this issue and the first issue we did tonight says? Saints preserve or Saint Andrew preserve us. Exactly. That was in both those issues, and it was in an issue in the last time we did this. And I remember asking about it, like, why would he say that? 
So somebody really wants him to say that. They want to make it a thing. Yeah. If we've reviewed six books and three of them, he says that. Yeah, you know. it wasn't that like some patron saint of Scotland yeah, or something? Yeah, we figured out. Right. That's what yeah, we figured out. Like it just seems affected. <laughs> <laughs> he does say that a lot. I don't remember him ever saying that in and any movie or any TV show. Uh-huh. No, not that I know of. Also, they're drawing maybe Scotty. maybe in Gold Key. We haven't finished maybe, Gold Key. Maybe in Gold Key. That's it. <laughs> I think they're drawing Scotty pretty trim. Uh, considering the, the era, absolutely. Yes. Considering the era, he's looking pretty trim. Yep. Between one and three, he really did kind of put on a lot. But you're right. He looks kind of – he looks uh, built like a, you know. Yes. Strong, buff. Strong, buff Scotsman. There you go. All right, so I, I got a question. What were they doing with the engines? Because they were on a, a course, right? The course was set, and they were moving because there was no tractor beams or anything like that, and they were going at warp. So what was it that he was trying to shake free of? I, I was not following that part of the story. They were trying to change course. So once you're in a course, it's that much effort to move out of it. No, they they they, wow. they didn't understand. I don't think that the it was the propulsion that was being taken over. It was the navigation. Um, they couldn't get the ship to respond, even though everything seemed to be working or should be working. It wouldn't steer. Right. So what was yeah, and- Scotty doing? Well, why were they giving it more to try to? Like like they were trying to take her out of warp or right. you know, somehow I, I, take it off course, which I didn't understand if it was the navigation that was doing it. I mean, it's not like it's a big rudder that they're trying to move the rudder to move the ship like an old sailing ship or something. Uh-huh. So I did not know what he was doing that was straining the ship so bad. Well, and I don't think act- it's well. Oh. Go ahead. He actually says, can you imagine writing this? Captain, please, the engines, they cannot take the strain. I mean, when they write these, don't they know that they're like these are these are cliches at this point, right? Yes, and she they says I've given her all she's got. Yeah, that's yeah. in here. <laughs> they can't they really use it. He's like, I'm giving her all she's got. Yeah, there she's it is. Hurting. <laughs> Please, we're Captain, all stop, we're all hurting. Scotty. Stop whipping her. <laughs> that, that's that's Kirk's reply. We're all hurting, Scotty. <laughs> Stop being such a wimp. <laughs> really? Why are you hurting? <laughs> Step on it. All right, so yeah. no answer as to what they're exactly they're trying to do. Well, no. okay. So it's badly explained, but they're trying to use the ship's engines to take you off course, I mean to change course. But if you can't change steering, if you can't alter course, then all you could really do is try to throw the engine in reverse, right? Because if you put more power to the engines with backward thrust and you can't steer anywhere else, you're just going to accelerate going towards the place you you don't want to go. Right. So what, they throw engines in reverse and tried to stop? They didn't explain it. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah, I, I remember being confused and just figuring it was me, that I just wasn't getting what they were doing and moved on. <laughs> <laughs> They they just wanted you to uh, go with what they they can't they can't do anything and Kirk's gonna get frustrated and be pouty for the rest of the issue 
So <laughs> what we gotta do. And You're then not go to the planet. Did anybody else think that was unkirk like? When is he oh, never yeah. oh, on the when is he never yeah, yeah. gone on the away mission? Exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. Extreme. I think the only reason why they did that was so that they could then have this artificial three people randomly placed in the ship also got beamed away. I mean that's that's the only reason. Right. Why... Maybe maybe they will explain in the next issue why those who got chosen got chosen. But Yes, but I'm wondering why Scott uh Kirk didn't choose at least McCoy and himself to go on the away mission. That that's never happened before. Right. Right. That was not that didn't work. Not realistic. I think you know what's going to happen in the next issue, and you're trying to be coy. I am not. I, I, you know, I haven't read this since when 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 it came out, and I have not read the next issue. Okay. I barely got to these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had one other thing. I thought Mares looked really good in this issue. She looked just like she does in the cartoon. Yeah, good. I thought mm-hmm. they did a good job, and uh, not animating her, but at least depicting her. You ever think of that when you watch Star Trek V and there's that Mares-like character dancing on the table? Do you think that that was on purpose? Or just Is that the one that creativity? has the three boobs? Or No, I don't think so. I think it's okay. someone else. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, always, I've, I've wondered that. If it's supposed to be at least the same species. Right. Oh, right. Yeah, maybe. I don't think it's Mares. I don't think she's hit hard times and she's on... <laughs> <laughs> Was that in Star Trek Five or Star Trek Three? I thought it was Five. I can't remember. It's... It was in that bar where the three, you know, Romulan, the Klingon, and the okay. human. Yeah. I couldn't remember if that was it or if it was in that gratuitous cantina scene where McCoy's trying to get uh, passage to. Oh, I love that scene. Genesis, where he tries to do the fake the the neck pinch and he can't right, do it. Right. <laughs> when security tries to grab him. Yeah, I love that scene. I love that movie, actually. Star Trek Three is a good movie. It is a good movie. It gets it gets underrated, but it, it gets a bad rap. But I think it's good. Well, is yeah. it a bad rap or it just doesn't? Well, you know, you always hear about the odd movie kind of thing. Oh, that's true. Fortunately, it's one of the odd movies. Oh, I like the third. I think it was uh, actually William Shatner's best Star Trek acting. I think that he was directed well, and uh, yeah, his, I thought he did a really good job. He's much more low key than usual. When he was reacting to uh, his son's death, I thought he did a great job. Yeah. He could have really overacted on that. And he came close, but I think he was just right. (laughs) Yeah, it was good. And you had Reverend Jim and uh, (laughs) Dan from Night Court as the the main Klingons. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dan from Night Court. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I like that they had um, oh, what's I forgot the actor's name Doc Brown, but I'm glad that they had him because he's a good actor. But it's just like oh god that voice, I Can't just could I could not help but think of Reverend Jim. Yeah, I, I've had other people say that. I didn't watch Taxi, so it wasn't an issue. Oh okay, but. yeah. Well, but, uh, he just did, that's an incredible character on Taxi. Yeah. <laughs> All right, anything else, guys? That's it. I'm good. All right, well, next week we will find out what happens with Harry Mudd. What happens after that big surprise? Unless they have to stick in another filler series. (laughs) (laughs) No, they don't. 
I know. And I've kind of hinted to this next issue because for me, this next issue is what I always re- what I used to always think about when I thought back on reading these as a kid, and it's the one with Nutcracker type soldiers, giant ones like trying to step on the cur- the the crew of the Enterprise um, right. on the cover, and so you know. When Ken and I have talked about going back and doing DC Volume 1, these are the stories that, for whatever reason, pop in my head as, ah, oh, man, man, those weren't that good. Let's skip it. And that's why we did Volume yeah. 2 first. <laughs> uh, well, I think when I say that, that Volume 1 is my favorite, I don't think it's necessarily that I've done like an analysis of all the different runs and said, this, these are the best stories. I think it's just that I, I remember a time in my life when I was really into it, I would look forward to the the book coming out each uh, month and would read it immediately. And it was a really good time in my life in general. So right. I just I just have this. I just cool. I don't know. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Well, and me too. I mean, eighty seven, eighty eight. That's that's when I started reading comics, and Star Trek was Star Trek was one of the two issues or one of the two series that I was most into at that time. And, uh, you know, this is right when I started um, buying them. And, and I, at the time, I remember them being great. And, you know, with uh, later on, we're going to have, you know, some, uh, the Klingon, uh, what's his name, Conum and oh. Bryce and things like that. They, they have a good storyline that's going to come up here pretty soon. And, you know, and at the time, this is by far, hands down, the best Star Trek comic book series we've ever had. So I, I, when I say that, I don't want to bad... I don't want to say anything bad about the series because I think it's a great series. It's just I think they perfected it later on and, and and took it away from being a comic book to being just Star Trek stories that happen to be told in the comic book form. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where these okay. still feel like comic books, like they're written for kids. Yeah, and that there were there occasional nods to the continuity it, you know and i i just i appreciate that at the time i was um i, th- I think i just like the fact that they were continuing the movie series mm-hmm. yeah. you know i was really into it and doing a fantastic job i mean like, like you said I, I love how they tie back into the each movie that came out right and i would have liked to have seen how they would have uh do you, do they do star trek 5 before they reboot it i don't think so i think that was right during the the between the two volumes, right? Right, right. And I don't think the second volume really had the same kind of connection. You know right. what I mean? Star Trek Six came out. Yeah, I don't remember them ever leading up to Star Trek Six or doing a, you know, we just finished up the kid right. or whatever. And that's what I think it is about this series that I like, was it really had a sense of it having its own, it was like, an, it was like another show, you know, it had its own flavor. Um... And they worked really hard. I, I, I just, I always liked this one. Cool. Well, yeah. All Memories right, well. are formed for many reasons. I have no, I don't know if we, no history with this series, unfortunately. Mm. I was out of college and in the early Oh, I was in grad there. school. <laughs> I was <laughs> not a kid. <laughs> I won't tell you where I was. Okay. Uh, 87. How old were you in 87, Donovan? I don't know. 11, 12? (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, you're a young pap lad. But I was smart enough to buy these comic books every month. Exactly. Smart young lad. <laughs> and we'll get more right. of them next week. Yeah, we'll finish off the mud and start off. Um, so this will be issues, what, 40, 41, 42? Exactly. So hopefully maybe we'll try to work you in, Ryan, if you have a uh, notion to come. Always, always fun to come. I love to do have it. Have a anchoring. I'd love to come back, and uh, thank you for uh, inviting me tonight. Oh, hey, pleasure. Anytime, anytime. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for everybody who's listening, and uh, talk to you next week. Great. See you next time. Uh, the Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.